Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, and I'm sorry to say, but once again, I'm going solo today without the benefit of my co-host, Mark Meckler. He is traveling once again this week. Um, Don't worry, we will have him back soon, I'm sure. And in the meantime, we do have our last guest, Rosalind Weisenberger, back today for the sixth in our 10-week series of programs on the whole topic of servant leadership. Rosalind, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Rita. It is so great to be with all of you again. I love Chapter 6, The Moment of Truth. Well, I'm excited to dive in. And to our listeners, yes, we are already up to Chapter 6. If you happen to just be joining us for the first time, the book we're discussing in this series is called Servant Leadership. The author is David Kuhnert, K-U-H-N-E-R-T. And we're talking about servant leadership because it is practicing for life. It's helping us to maximize our impact, not only on our families and our colleagues at work or at school, but also on the culture around us, which if you're a listener of this program, you're interested in doing that. So this is this topic will help us. Now you can find this book on Amazon and I do encourage you to pick it up. We are going through the first edition of the book. Again, it's Servant Leadership. It's super easy to read and it's totally practical. You're not gonna get big abstract, ideas that you you know you're scratching your head and wondering what it means it's all very practical and easy to apply chapter 6 is called seek and share truth and rosalind it starts with an inter- interesting statement at least to me it's very interesting it says sharing truth serves the we there so that's our mutual goal choosing not to share truth serves the me there, or in other words, my own personal desire. So he's saying sharing truth serves everyone. Choosing not to share truth is ultimately selfish. And I think, Rosalind, that sounds a little provocative when we hear it. So tell us what he means by that. (laughs) So he first mentions the whole me there, we there in chapter two. And everything we do, there's there's this battle. In scripture, it talks about uh, the flesh versus the spirit. And so David Kuhner kind of couches that in the whole idea of me there versus we there. Um, the me there focus uh, is based on assumptions and feelings, which lead us astray and avoids truth because truth takes time and intention to uncover, and it can be uncomfortable. So if we're just going on our feelings, We're not taking the time. We're just reacting instead of slowing down to respond. The we there focus is on developing and valuing others, even if we feel uncomfortable. So as servant leadership, we take the time to invest in relationships. And I love how Jason Gerard often says that servant leadership helps others take the next step. And Mm -hmm. to do this effectively, our interactions need to be based on facts and truth, not on faulty assumptions and feelings. So we need to be we-focused and not me-focused. 
You know, I have to just stop right here and comment on this whole subject a bit because in talking about, you know, some of the hot button issues in our culture today, which is what we often do on the Crossroads program, and the what the culture wants to promote and believe is the culture seems to be interested in telling people what they want to hear, telling them what's easy, telling them that everything is just okay, that there's no standard, they can you know, do what they want, be what they want. And they think that is love. They would call that loving. Um, but sometimes love means saying things that are hard, but because that is what is actually best for the person that we're dealing with. Is that the kind of conflict we we have here? Is that why... Um, choosing not to share truth is ultimately being selfish because it's just really avoiding conflict. Yeah. You know what? Not speaking truth. It is, it's the lie of we're avoiding conflict. The reality is when we don't deal with things, uh, he talks about measuring small and often, if we don't deal with it and walk through the conflict together by seeking truth, the, the conflict explodes and it multiplies. And so really it's a lie. And that's what our feelings do and our emotions. And that's what I think our society and the news tries to do. They want to, um, they want to increase the emotions. They want us to act out of fear because we're not going to take the time and to seek the truth. We're just going to react. And you're right. We speak truth in love. Um, and if we truly want to value people, we need to take the time and set aside our fears and to do what is best for the individual. So Rosalind, this is the chapter in the book where David introduces what's called the moment of truth. Others I think have introduced it previously as a managerial moment of truth, but we call it moment of truth. What is a moment of truth and why is it so important? Rita, the reason I love this chapter is because it was so transformational for me. Um, In the past, when someone would step outside of the Freedom V or they didn't meet expectations, my gut reaction was, ugh, I need to have a confrontation with this person. And that just never sat right with me. And then I read this book and it was revolutionary because a moment of truth is giving me um, an opportunity to actively invest in and show that I value my team member or my family member or the individual that I'm interacting with by helping them understand that their actions are not meeting expectations, um, that they're outside of the freedom V and helping them discover responsible choices they can make. It's not me telling them what to do, it's me helping them discover the way that they can become self-governed. In chapter one, he talks about the framework of life, the there here path. And so in a moment of truth, um, we get to help someone discover the truth of their current reality. They're here because we all need help with that. Because sometimes we think we're either better than we are. We think that we're worse than we are, or we just don't have a clear view of where our here is. And so we can't take the next step if we don't have that accurate view. So that's why it's important to have people speak truth into us. A moment of truth can also clarify our there. 
Sometimes we get off focus from what the goal really is and a moment of truth can help refocus us on that. And then it's important mm -hmm. to remember the three things that we can really control, who we trust, our actions, and our attitudes or our perspective. And a moment of truth develops self-governance by helping others identify which of these three things they need to change. Because the reality is when I step outside of the freedom V, it's normally because one of those three things is out of whack. And sometimes I can't tell, but somebody else can come alongside and give me clarity in those areas. And so this is so important because truth shared with humility and kindness and respect that's going back to kindness is being able to share the hard things, but doing it in love grows trust. It's developed mm. self-governance and it increases the culture of truth sharing, which increases creativity um, and mm. organization. I think we see organizations and families and relationships that are based in grace-filled truth tend to be the ones that are thriving. Mm. I mean, for me, I think one, I'm, I'm sorry, one of my biggest takeaways from the whole moment of truth is that I don't have to fear a moment of truth. Because when I looked at it as confrontation, I it, it just boiled up in all this fear. Because a moment of truth is really a gift that I can give to someone that I value. Hmm. Yeah, that is a beautiful way to look at it. And I'm just going to be the first to confess here. I this is something I still really struggle with, not so much with people having a moment of truth with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm more receptive to that, but it is so hard for me to do this with other people, especially in the context of work. It's, this is a really hard thing for me to do. So I appreciate you walking us through it. And I just want to repeat, I loved what you, the way you described it as sharing truth with humility, kindness, and respect. And I hope that every uh, conservative activist who is listening to this program right now hears that. And we so need to remember that, that when we're, we are sharing truth, even when we're sharing it with someone that is on the other side of an issue from us, we always should be striving to share truth with humility, kindness, and respect. And I think that most people, when you share truth with them that way, find that disarming. And it really opens up them to being receptive to what we have to say. So, Rosalind, I want to explore for a minute, why is this so hard <laughs> to do well? What is it that we are afraid of? Talk to me. What? Why is it that I'm so afraid to do a moment of truth with one of my colleagues? And how can I motivate myself to do it anyway? I think there, there are so many reasons um, that, that this is hard. And so I was just trying to think of what are the three of the common reasons in the different classes that I facilitated that keep coming up. And I think these are the top three. Um, that we want to avoid conflict. We kind of mentioned that that before. That we aren't sure how the other person will take it. And we're afraid we will damage the relationship. I think those are the top three um, things that people have shared and I've experienced myself. And the reality is that conflict doesn't resolve itself. Like I had mentioned, it needs to be walked through and dealt with. 
And then also, if we don't measure small and often, if we don't deal with things as they arise, relationships, missions, organizations are undermined, damaged, or derailed. Um, so really, those fears are keeping us from doing what we need to do to really help gird up the relationship. Mm. So how I motivate myself is um, it's kind of twofold. I remember how when I make it about me, when it's me focused, I hurt the team and individuals. And I have examples of this. And so there are examples that pop into my head. Roslyn, remember when you listen to that voice that says you're trying to protect the relationship or you want to avoid conflict. It's really me focused and it's damaging the team and the person. And the other thing is I remember my there for leading. And this is we focused. My there is to value and help others develop self-governance. And if I truly value other people, I will come alongside of them, seeking and sharing truth, even when it's uncomfortable. And, and I need to say there are times where, because we're talking about moments of truth, and it's so important to have people around us that speak truth into our lives, that I need to go to some of those people that I trust and respect. And I either have them pray as I'm going through it, or I might share with them the issue and how I'm thinking of going about it and get their insight um, so that I have people around me speaking truth into me so that I can go and speak truth into somebody else. Mm. Okay, well, let's get into the details of this now. Would you just walk us through the process of a moment of truth? Absolutely. And there's there's what four steps. The first one is acknowledge reality, which is brilliant. And I don't know why I never thought of this, but what it means is that you're starting the conversation with a yes or no question so that you're all on the same page. Because I don't know about you, there have been times, especially with my husband or my kids, I have a list of things that I want to go through. And that just never goes well. So acknowledging reality, we come in and make sure that we are on the same page. So the example in the book is, can we agree that your workday begins at eight o'clock? Because the person has missed or has been late for work three or four days in a row. And mm -hmm. so we're starting on the same, uh, same page. The only issue we're talking about is the time that work begins. And this helps focus the whole conversation. Now, sometimes somebody will answer and they'll be, yes, but, or no, but, and it's like, no, 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 no. Let's just start with, we want to be on the same page. It's just a yes or no. And then after that, we get the story. And this is where the person gets to share their story. Um, this is a great place for us to ask clarifying questions. Now, I don't know about you, but often for me, the first questions that come to my mind are the why questions. And these are not helpful. Actually, we want to avoid why questions because it puts people on the defensive. It's implying that the other person should have known better. I don't know about, for me, when I even ask myself why questions, it never goes anywhere well. So instead of asking why, ask how or what, or tell me more about, and then listen. And then sometimes we ask more clarifying questions. And if the story is going off track, bring the focus back to your acknowledged reality so that you're staying focused. And the next step is make a plan. And this is where the person recognizes one of the three things they can control that needs to change. 
whether it's who they trust, their actions or attitude, and they have the opportunity to create a SMART goal or a plan to gain self-governance. Um, and I think the important thing is they have the opportunity to create a plan. We can help influence and we can steer it, but it's not us telling them what to do. Because when I tell somebody what to do, there's not the buy-in, but when they come up with it, they're more likely to follow through with it. And then sometimes in getting the story, we as a leader recognize that we weren't clear on what the there was or the expectation. So the plan is simply we give clarity. Um, he doesn't necessarily mention this in the book, but I think an important part of moment of truth is also recognizing that there are times we have to apologize and we need to learn how to apologize um, sincerely. I used to think I was great at apologizing and I realized I really wasn't and I have a lot of work to do. And just yesterday I struggled with it. So I wanna give just three examples. When we apologize, so let's say um, I was not clear as the leader in the expectation I had of somebody, and that's why we're having a moment of truth. And in the get the story, that became clear. So apology could be, I'm sorry you didn't understand the expectations. If you, and if you put anything out, anytime we add in if you, it really is blame. It's not an apology, it's blame. Another example, and this one is what I really struggle with. I'm sorry you it I'm sorry this was unclear, but I <laughs> anytime we have but it's an excuse. Mm -hmm. A real apology is when we take full responsibility. I am so sorry I wasn't clear about my expectations. Let me try and explain it to you now and please let me know if it's still unclear. That's a true apology, and that's where we can work through and reconciliation and rehabilitation occurs. Mm. So, and then the next, the fourth um, step is feedback. It's our follow-up to see how things are going. And once again, we start with acknowledging reality, referring to the, the plan that was, was made so we're on the same page. And so we either get to celebrate because they've made a change, moving up the freedom view of self-governance, or they have an opportunity to act, learn, and adjust. Mm -hmm. Well, that is so helpful. That really fleshes it out. And I just have to comment on um, step two, get the story. It's so interesting that you say when you're in the story to avoid why questions. And it just caused me to remember, so back as the parent of younger kids, I'm a huge fan of Paul Tripp, who has written a lot of Christian parenting books that are, are just, I hold them very dear. They were, uh, still are priceless to me. Um, but he, he says in one of them, you know, don't ask your toddler, well, why did you do that? You know, he said, and he's so funny when he does it on stage, he says, do you think your toddler is going to turn to you and say, I did it because I'm a sinner. I'm totally <laughs> depraved and in need of a savior. No, your toddler doesn't even know why he or she did what he did. Um, so I think it's, you know, that it's good throughout life. The why question, it probably isn't going to be the most helpful right. one. And Rosalind, the other thing is David addresses in this 
chapter something that is a big pet peeve of mine, and it's something that I learned through a great counselor, John Keebler, who's here in the Valley. Some of you probably know him, but it's when people use the phrase, I feel like, and then they go on to state something that's not a feeling at all, but it's actually facts or beliefs. You know, and I do this too, just to be right. clear. But when you say something like, I feel like you don't respond to emails quickly enough. Well, not responding to emails quickly is not a feeling. That's not something you can feel. What you're doing is telling them something you believe, a set of facts that you think are true. So talk to us about the importance of using the right words when we have a moment of truth. So the whole feelings, emotions, and assumptions can be deceiving. I mean, whether it's we're, we're couching what we really believe and trying to soften it as, yeah. well, this is just a feeling I have, or <laughs> we're, we're basing what we're saying on our emotions and feelings and they're, they're riled up. Um, really clump people into oppressor or oppressed. Because hmm. we really don't want to have discussions with people based on my feelings. We need to have our discussions based on what is actually occurring, what, what is going on. And next week, you'll talk about emotions and ways that we can slow our emotions down because they're great indicators, but terrible bosses. Um, and when we slow our emotions down and decide to seek truth, instead of relying on assumptions, we choose our words wisely based on observational facts. And we ask questions that seek clarity. And then we listen and have clear communication. Because um, we don't, we, a, a discussion is often ended when somebody says, I feel like blah, 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 blah. It actually becomes a roadblock. Yeah. We, we can hide behind that. And we don't want to do that because we're desiring to gain clarity. So I think yeah. it's important to remember the desire isn't telling someone what they need to do but mentoring mm -hmm. and influencing them into self-discovery and self-governance where hopefully they're making wise choices based on truth that helps keep them within the freedom V. And so when I fall into the, I feel that's when I need to stop myself and go mm -hmm. through what is really the issue and what's going on. And is that why it's so important that the moment of truth actually starts with a yes or no question so you're sort of framing the issue, making sure we both agree at the beginning on the framework before we go into the rest of the process. Is that it? Yes, because it's not based on emotions. It's not based on feelings. It's based on an actual occurrence that, like you said, we both agree upon. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so wise. Well, okay, so in this chapter, after we talk about the process of a moment of truth and what it looks like, David Kuhner introduces this graphic of four squares that people fall into once they're confronted with the need to grow or improve. So can you walk us through those? Absolutely. And I have to say these four boxes are powerful. Um, and helping discern ability and desire motivation. But it took me forever to figure out how to actually use them. You know how when you read something, you're like, oh, this is so good, but you can't figure out how to practically put it into <laughs> practice? Um, yeah. But I have found how to do that. That works for, for me. But the 
four squares are, and if you have your um, servant leadership book with you, open it up to page 100 because sometimes mm -hmm. it's easier to actually see it. So there's can but won't, and this is having ability but no desire. There's can't and won't, which is having no ability and no desire. There's can and will, which is having ability and desire. And then there's can't but wants to, which is having no ability but having desire. And so the way that I found that this works really well um, is after I've had a moment of truth with somebody and we're in the follow-up, we're doing the feedback. And so we, we start with what their goal is. So let's say their goal is to write five letters to legislators in two weeks. And this is the end of the two weeks. So we meet and I ask, did you write your five letters to your legislators? Or I ask, how did that go? And the answer is, no, I didn't. So then we move to get the story. And, I'll, and, and there I'll probably say, you know what? Let's look at the four squares. Where are you in accomplishing this goal? Oftentimes they point to can't, but wants to. And if I know they have the ability, then I might ask, what is preventing you from accomplishing it? And they share a list of things. Hmm. And after listening for a little bit, I'll probably say, are these truly obstacles or are they excuses? And then there's normally a pause. And they realize that there were really excuses and where they really are is in the can but won't. Hmm. And now they have clarity of their here. And they get to choose what they are going to change so they can continue on the path to there. So I love, I love this tool. It just cuts out. It makes it very clear and easy for people to, to recognize where they think they are. And then we can ask <laughs> more questions for them to figure out where they actually are. But, but in that, I think it's important to note that sometimes um, a moment of truth leads to someone being moved to a different role on the team so that they can excel hmm. and grow in self-governance. And unfortunately, there are times after multiple moments of truth or intentional infractions of the freedom be that someone needs to be moved off of the team. And hmm. for me, I mean, this, this sounds kind of harsh, um, but... <laughs> I, I need to remember that my desire or our desire is to value and develop others, placing them in situations where they will excel. And when someone is choosing to continually move outside of the freedom fee or remaining and can't and won't, they are choosing not to be part of the team. Because I have to remember as a leader, I can influence somebody, but I can't make them make mm -hmm. the choices to move within the freedom V and to move to can and will. And then when our team sees that the person released has been given multiple opportunities, but continues to choose not to engage, I love how David Cooner, he shares that morale increases, which sounds counterintuitive, but it increases because the team knows two things. One, that they will be given ample chances and mm. two, they will not be asked to carry dead weight indefinitely. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good and so important. And I'm sure we've all, if we think about it, we've all experienced those times when someone has needed, you know, to be let go, released from, from a team. And it 
can actually be the most wonderful, loving thing you can do for someone rather than keep them in a spot where they are floundering and they probably know it. Everyone else around them knows it. It can really be a gift to them to release them to something they are better equipped to do. Well, and sometimes they don't recognize that until years later. We had that ad at our church. There was a a gal and my husband had a moment of truth with her. And when she when parted ways, she was not pleased. And, you know, she, her feathers were ruffled. But then like eight years later, she emailed my husband and said, I now recognize what you did was out of love. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Well, Rosalind, I can't believe it. We're almost out of time already. But before we close, I wonder if you can just give us Um, some words from scripture to help us be motivated to do this whole process of conflict and, you know, moment of truth to do it well. Anything you can share from scripture on that? You know what? I, there are a lot of examples in scripture. And one of the ones that's coming to my mind is when Jesus had let Peter know that he was going, that Peter was going to deny Jesus three times. And Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you return to me, go and strengthen your brethren. And I love the fact that when when Peter recognized what he had done, it was because of a nonverbal moment of truth. His eyes met Jesus's eyes. And it wasn't eyes of condemnation. I'm sure there was sorrow in it, but there was also love. And it transformed um, Peter. He, He repented transformed where he placed his trust, his perspective, and his actions. Um, And that's what a moment of truth can do when we do it out of love and respect and humility. It can transform people's lives. Rosalind, thank you so much for being with us for these past three chapters. We have really enjoyed you. It has been such an honor. Thank you for asking me and letting me be a part of this. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our generous sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our good friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg 22803. We invite you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads where faith and culture meet.